Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome back in. This is Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Chris Welsh. That is Scott White. How fitting it is, friendos, that you are being given maybe one of the best World Series pitching matchups that you could possibly even dream of. I'm not sure you could have walked into 2019 and dreamed of better pitching matchups. So how appropriate that Scott White and myself sit down and have, oh, I don't know, a little old conversation about 40 of your favorite starting pitchers, because that is what Scott has got for you on the docket here. So Scott, how are you, my friend? Good. Good. I like that you say friendo because the only other time I've heard that word used is no country for old men. Did they say that in there? Uh, I don't remember. Says, I mean, obviously I they think, did because you just said it. I think it's a convenience store uh, owner or worker to oh, Anton Chigurh. To Javier Bardo. Uh, Javier Bardo. Yeah. Hey, uh, or the coin flipping scene. He calls him friendo. Oh, really? And so Chigurh says it back to him kind of like sarcastically. Well, this is it of yours. Where I'm from, friendo. Never heard that before. I am gonna go listen to that. I actually a very big fan of that movie. Yeah, I've I've been using friendo for a long time, and I decided about six months ago that that was gonna be a tagline of mine. I was just going to embrace it, so someone had something to remember me by the there guy, the the Welsh guy with the the and friendo. That would be my friendo. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, you know, it's friendly. It's friendlier than just friend. Yeah, I'm not like yelling at everybody. I'm not, I'm not like, yeah. you know, ah, ah, you know, coming in here. Well, I'm not like definitely more friendly than that. <laughs> yeah. Who is the I just completely blanked um, saying what was the the comedian? Oh, oh, oh. I'm uh, drawing a complete blank right now. Sam, uh, I have no, uh, idea who, uh, no idea who you're talking about. You don't know who I'm talking about. Come on. Come on. No. Wow. What was the crate? Uh, this guy, I'll, I'll look for it. Someone is screaming right now because it's on the tip of my tongue. Famous comedian who would go, oh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Ah. No, I forget it. Doesn't matter for starting pitching. <laughs> I I can't get uh, Steve Martin movies from you, and I can't get comedians. So let's get starting pitching. That's at least what I know we can get here. It's a big list. We're going through 40. If you guys want to check it out over on CBS, uh, you can get uh, Scott White's top 40 starting pitchers. I think there has been at least one audible called in this episode that we're going to talk about. And we're going to try to give love to everybody that we possibly can, but going through 40 of them, you know, in due time, we will get there. If you have questions, you could always hit up Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White. You can, uh, myself, uh, at, is it the Welsh, if you guys want to uh, have comments about this or talk through it. But ironically, not to even necessarily try to go crazy and jump ahead here, but the top three starting pitchers for 2020 happened to be playing in the World Series, at least according to Scott White. And there was much debate as we were kind of ending the season here on uh, Fantasy Baseball today about what number one looked like. But you yeah. stuck to it, Scott. You stuck to it. You said Garrett Cole. You said you started with, I think he'll be my guy. And then you said, you know what? He's going to be the guy. And sure enough, 
He is your guy, the number one starting pitcher for 2020, one of two pitchers to strike out over 300 batters this season with uh, what was an incredibly impressive season statistically. What did we have? 20 wins, 326 strikeouts, only 48 walks with a 2-5 ERA, 33 games started. He may not be an Astro in 2020, but he's number one. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you remember it that way because I, I, I feel like I went back and forth and... I think at last check, I had decided he would not be either first or second. I would go Scherzer one, Verlander two, Cole three. Uh, but the way Cole finished the season really clinched his spot at the top because there were nine consecutive double-digit strikeout efforts to close out the season. And one of the things that was holding me back on putting him at quite the level of Verlander or Scherzer is they seem more like seven to eight inning guys when they're healthy, and he was more of a six to seven inning guy. Well, he had three eight-inning starts in September. Cole did. So there's, you know, the fact he's six years younger than Scherzer and, you know, Verlander's even older than that. Um, And then you got the fact Cole was a distant number one in both K per nine and XFIP, at least among qualifiers. I, I I don't really see how there's a case to go with anyone else here at the top. And you have Verlander at two, just so everybody knows. And then clearly Max Scherzer is number three, as I said, the three are playing in the World Series. Uh, As far as if you want to look at CBS Player Raider goes, I'm looking here. um, I've got a standard five by five league. I played with my friends over at Rotowire, our Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, which, you know, hat tip to uh, CBS. We have 20 deep and we have all the prospects in the world because there's a bunch of us prospect people. And uh, just kind of reviewing and looking, Justin Verlander was the number one player in five by five Overall player, not just pitcher, number one overall player with 300 strikeouts, 21 wins and 34 starts with a 2.5 ERA and a .8 whip. That is the absolute lowest whip. And the next closest person is a relief pitcher as far as the player rater goes in Josh Hader. And uh, Garrett Cole comes in as the number four overall. So those are your top two pitchers. So the the in-stretch and age is a differential to you, but how much are you going to weigh if at all, a new home destination for Garrett Cole, which is likely, you know, I presume it's going to be a team like the Angels. Yeah, I mean, if it goes to the Angels, I I mean, yeah, leaving the Astros is going to affect win potential, and win potential is a big part of um, what ultimately goes into how a pitcher is is valued in fantasy. Wins are worth a lot, at least in any sort of standard format. So that it matters. I... I think as long as he's not going to a complete bottom feeder, though, like Texas or he's something, not going not to Colorado. Oh, okay. I mean, Texas isn't really a bottom feeder, right? I just meant like ballpark. Like as soon as you said bottom feeder, oh. I was thinking of like less attractive ballparks. Like you're right. Texas is not a bottom feeding team, but I wouldn't even know if you would consider like the Reds, but you don't really want him to go to Texas or to Cincinnati, do you? It doesn't matter that much. I, I don't think in his case it does. Um, yeah, I, he's not he's not somebody who's going to be especially vulnerable to home runs no matter where he goes. Like, if he went to Colorado and you're talking about the movement on his pitches being affected, then I'd worry. i worry about anybody going to Colorado. But for somebody this talented, you know, I... I so, okay, let, if, me, let me play devil's advocate then real quick. How much do you weigh what Houston does with their pitchers into the equation? Because there's, there's an arc that obviously happens here because in 2017 with Pittsburgh... Garrett Cole had a 4.26 ERA with a uh, 196 strikeouts in 203 yep. innings. He comes yep. to Houston and his ERA dropped a run and a half. His WHIP went from 1.25 in Pittsburgh down to one uh, 1.03 
and then he just built on his Houston start. So is that about him? Is this story about him becoming the elite pitcher? Or is this a story about a guy with the stuff that Houston knows how to uh, put together better than no, any I, other team? I mean, the Astros made him. The Astros showed him what he needed to do to be this successful pitcher. But so it's the way the way we've seen Charlie Morton pick up what he learned with the Astros and take it with him to Tampa Bay. Good point. I, I feel comfortable about Garrett Cole. I mean, I I read a, the Athletic had a feature about him recently, uh, Garrett Cole and. Um, I didn't know much about him personally, but a very apparently he's very studious and, uh, you know, isn't just isn't just some fly by the seat of his pants pitcher. So I I trust he'll be able to stick with what he learned from the Astros and take it somewhere else. Polar opposite of his UCLA teammate Trevor Bauer. Those two are teammates, and they're actually known to uh, dislike each other a very large degree, and they are polar opposites maybe both super intelligent but just personality yeah, yeah, yeah. traits are personality wise yeah completely different spectrum so you uh as we said justin verlander he ends up finishing as the number one fantasy player and the number one starting pitcher max scherzer was not in that same realm i think he finishes the 11th best starting pitcher as far as five by five on cbs goes he had 243 strikeouts had 27 started games this year and he rocked a 292 ERA, which it's all Scherzer-esque, but it's not at the top elite Scherzer. So what tier falloff is Scherzer from Justin Verlander? Because there was a time where, regardless of results, we were like, Scherzer's still the number one guy. So how far off is he from Verlander? Not far off. It What ultimately, because, you know, as recently as just a couple weeks before the end of the season, I was saying Scherzer number one overall yeah. ahead of both. Cole and Verlander. Um, so Cole, I talked about why he jumped to number one. And what made me put Verlander over Scherzer two is really the realization that they're only one year apart in age. Because I harp on Verlander's age a lot. He's going to be 37 next year. That is, for a power pitcher, it's it's really old. And it's it's surprising he's been able to keep it going this long. I don't know what it ends. Um, but... I think given that every high-end pitchers, uh, you know, he's kind of holding on to that status by such a narrow thread. Like, But is it, but the narrow thread it, is only because of age, not because of performance. His performance is better than any single pitcher. So the, well, that's the, what I'm, oh, that's okay. what I'm, that's what ultimately decided, you know what, forget the age because it's, nobody's that safe at starting pitcher is, is probably the more direct way of saying it. Yeah, that's like, a good point. Any of these guys could fall off for any number of reasons any given year. In Verlander's case, it'll most likely be because of age. In Scherzer's case, it'll be much most likely because of age. But the thing is, Scherzer is showing clearer signs of age, I think, with the way he missed most of the second half with back issues. I mean, Verlander has a clean bill of health. Scherzer, um, you know, that's that's something that you don't really know how it's going to affect him going forward. And while he's still an overpowering pitchers, I mean, he led the majors in FIP this past year. Scherzer did, uh, you know, a big part of what sets him apart from other ace caliber pitchers is is durability and pitching deep into games. And I don't know if I don't know how much longer we can count on that from him. Well, and it'll be interesting because the narrative will definitely move to injury prone if we have another one of these like you know buck fifty type of seasons. Because I think from a, from a performance standpoint, Scherzer's still there. I mean, you want to talk about consistency and the amount of you know years he's been having a sub three ERA. But if the stuff goes with the age, then you start talking Kershaw. Right now, 
he still had two years prior to this year where he's gone over 200 innings. It was 172 mm-hmm. this year while striking out 243. We're not in that range enough for me to be comfortable to say like, oh yeah, we are in the downturn until it happens again. But these are these are the top tier of pitchers. I have an overarching question, but I want to talk about the other two guys. Uh, at number four, you've got New York Mets' Jacob deGrom. So where, as far as a tier, again, is this a Verlander, Cole, then we go to a tier to Max Scherzer, and then DeGrom? Or is DeGrom enough that you're not going to kill anybody for making that decision of him over Max Scherzer? I'm not going to kill anybody for that. I, I would actually tier Scherzer with Cole and Verlander. There's a big, bigger question mark for Scherzer than those other two. But in terms of upside, upside I think they're all right there. DeGrom, his strikeout potential is a little less than those three. It's still incredible, but a little less than those three. and. There's the issue of even though it looks like he's going to be a back-to-back Cy Young Award winner in the NL, um, between the two seasons, the most wins he had was 10? Is that right? Didn't no, he this year was 10? 11. 11. He has okay. 11 this so year, which, by the way... combined 21 wins between the two Cy Young seasons. Which, and, I, and I would point out Justin Verlander had 21 wins this year. Yeah, right. Uh, that's that. It's unfortunate, and, and I don't really know... If I can describe it any other way than that, I mean, the Mets get made fun of a lot, but they're not the Orioles, the Tigers. They're not, they, they win a decent number of games. Like it's, it's mostly a bad luck situation. I mean, I guess the fact that in particular they struggle at the end of games with the bullpen might be impacting, uh, might have impacted DeGrom's win totals this past two years. But other pitchers have been winning games for the Mets. Cindergaard won 10 this year, 13 last year. And, you know, 428 this year, he won as many, uh, one fewer game than DeGrom then, and he had 13 last year. So, you know, like, it just seems like bad luck more than anything else. Eh, two years, though, of under 12 wins. There's luck, but then there's also maybe the story. Interesting of the top 10 pitchers. By the way, I think I said earlier Scherzer was 11. He was end up being number 10 as far as pitchers. Three of the top 10 pitchers had 11 wins or less. Everybody else was like, you know, 14, 15, 18. Can you name the three pitchers who finished in the top 10 in 5x5 five five this year that had 11 wins? DeGrom is obviously one of them. Exactly, 11 wins, three pitchers who finished in the top 10. 5, 10? 10. Yeah, and, 10. And, and the reason I'm using 11 also is because like, there's 14, 15, 16. No one had 12, no one had 13. It's 11, or you're getting into the mid-teens. And three guys in the top 10 had 11 wins. Also proving how good their seasons were that, that they weren't impacted by wins as much. Oh, Clevenger? Eh. No. Not in the top 10. Not enough starts in all, probably. Uh, Giolito? Eh. No? No, not in the top 10. That was a bad buzzer. I buzzed you. It was a bad one. I'll do better. Uh, uh, 11 wins. Hmm. No whammies, no whammies, Did Flaherty no have only 11 wins? Bing! That is one. You got one okay. more. What, but you're going to get the whammy if you get one more wrong. So, <laughs> uh, I will say it's a good Patrick one. Patrick Corbin. Oh, I'm sorry, Scott. Thanks for playing. We're going to have to ask you to leave with nothing and your whammy. Max Scherzer, only 11 oh. wins in the top 10. Yeah. 27 starts. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Flaherty, DeGrom, and Max Scherzer. So two of the top five guys on your list only had 11 wins this year. Hmm. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. How high did DeGrom finish? DeGrom finished, he was number three. 
overall. Okay, with only ten Which, wins. So. Though there is a there's quite a difference where Garrett Cole was the fourth ranked overall player. Degrom went down to thirty six. So yeah. there is almost a three round difference between the number two overall pitcher and the number three overall pitcher, which is leading me into a bigger question, but I want to talk about Chris Sale just for a minute. Give me your thoughts on Chris Sale, because a lot of people are out on Chris Sale this year. Uh, a lot of those uh, age to injury type of things have people getting out on him. So 25 uh, starts, 218 strikeouts, and 147 innings. Where's the level of worry with him when you have him at number five? Because it doesn't seem like it's significant to you. It's a seemingly minor elbow issue that ended his season, but it is an elbow issue, and we'll see how he recovers from it this offseason. That would be the full extent of my concern. Performance-wise, there's almost none. And I understand I understand kind of the layman's perspective of uh, the experience of sale not going well for you. If the 440 ERA, okay, that was one thing. The 6-11 and 11 record is really what's going to underwhelm you when you're when you're see, seeing it happen play out start by start and he's not living up to your expe- expectations particularly in a points league. So, you know, that is obviously uh especially considering it was for the Red Sox 6 and 11 not so great. But here's the thing. Here's why I still think he's good and uh we should see the glass half full with him. If he had the innings to qualify, he would have ranked behind only Garrett Cole in K per nine. He would have ranked behind only Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer in XFIP. He had a 339 XFIP compared to that 440 ERA. He also had 14 starts with double-digit strikeouts. Only one pitcher, Garrett Cole, had more, and that was in eight more starts than Sale made. So if Sale hadn't missed all that time, presumably he would have led the league and double-digit strikeout efforts. The stuff is clearly still there. Now, he kind of took a winding path this season. Uh, Obviously, there was the hiccup at the start of the year when he didn't pitch much in spring training, and we saw that a little from Walker Bueller, too. Maybe that was a bad approach. Uh, But once he came around, he was piling up strikeouts pretty quickly. It's just he wasn't quite steady enough to fully correct that ERA, and then the season was cut off. Yeah, he, he's an interesting case because he is very similar, like you were making the comparisons to Cole. Even if I go and sort, you know, by 100, 100 innings pitch this year, him and Cole, very similar. If you take away, you know, a couple factors, you know, Babbitt was much higher on Chris Sale's side. Left on base percentage was a, almost 20% difference. Garrett Cole kept guys on 83% of the time, only 66 for Sale. But look at that huge ERA to XFIP difference. Uh, 4-4 ERA to a 2-9-3 XFIP. So I, I buy in because there's a discount being given, and it leads to my final question of this tier, Scott. How do you approach drafting these guys? Chris Sale should come at a good discount this year. DeGrom and Scherzer will come at a very brief to mild discount where Cole and Verlander are going to be at the top. And I told you before, two pitchers finished inside the top five. The next guy was into the third round of drafting, or technically, I guess, into the, almost the fourth round of drafting in a 12-man league, if you looked at that. So there's a bunch mm-hmm. of fourth-round-valued pitchers, DeGrom, Strasburg, guys like Granky Bieber. They're all in that fourth round, but only two guys mm-hmm. on the top end. So people are going to be chasing starting pitching. How do you think pitching is going to be approached in that Verlander and Cole are probably first-rounders, and is it going to be worth reaching 
on guys that performed at fourth round level into the second to make sure you get the top guys? I don't. That's okay. First of all, I want to correct something I said because I said uh, we gave a different number for Max for Chris Sales XFIP. You gave two ninety three. I gave three thirty nine. Three thirty nine was actually the FIP, not the XFIP. But either way you look at it, yes, he greatly underperformed in terms of VRA. Um, now to answer your question, I have Colin Verlander middle of the first round. I have Scherzer end of the first round. I have DeGrom and Sale both going in the second round. And I know that's higher than they finished in traditional 5 by 5 categories leagues, but DeGrom, obviously, uh, I, I expect him to win more games if he continues to pitch like he has. And Sale, you know, obviously, I expect everything to be better next year than it was. So uh, I think in terms of skills, they are definitely ahead. Well, more so than... Not just skills, but skills and how long they've been doing it and over how many innings they've been doing it. There's a gap between them and uh, number six and beyond. So I don't think my sixth, at least in a at least in a categories league, I don't think he's going off the board until round three. And then round three and round four are both loaded with started starting pitchers for me. There's so, a lot of them going then. So that brings me to a really good question, which we will talk about on the other, other side of this message. Though I do, I'm going to expose somebody that probably texted me or DM'd me or tweeted me or whatever, listening to this show that are so mad that I couldn't figure out the comedian immediately. And you're exposing yourself because I'm going to say who that person is right now. It was Sam Kennison. I kept saying Sam, and I couldn't get it out there, Scott. Do you know you know who Sam Kennison is, right? Now that I say it, he was he was from a while back, right? Oh, oh yeah, it was like it was like a late one of those 80s. guys oh. who died tragically young. Uh, yeah, I uh, born in fifty three, yeah. died in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, crazy human being. Oh, that's that type of guy. That's who it was. Okay. We can all move on with our lives now that we know it, though we're going to dig more into the future and where your comedic uh, roots lie. I need to know where your comedic roots lie, but we'll do more of that and a big starting pitcher overall question right after this. Untuckit.com promo code FBT. Have you ever wondered why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untuckit shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. And Untuck It is the brand you've been looking for. It's the original Untuck shirt, a modern solution to an old problem with no tucking or tailoring required. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect Untuck solution. I would know firsthand. I'm six foot four with an ever ebbin flowing weight, but length is always the issue when I'm this tall. And Untuck It's online platform made it incredibly easy for me to filter out all the clothes that have extra length on them. They've got a multitude of sizes and a really great selection. I even picked something up for my son. I was a little bit unsure if the sizes were going to work for a seven-year-old. Perfect. And Untuck It's got more than 50 fit combinations for shirts that look great for tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. So I want you to try it on in person at one of Untuck It's 50 stores or go to untuckit.com to get started. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. You can save 20% on your first order by using my code FBT at checkout. That's untuckit.com, promo code FBT. So you set the stage when I asked you about how we're approaching, especially these top guys, but it does bring me to um, a bigger overarching question. It's what I believe um, my good buddy Paul Spohr had dubbed as the glob. We've talked about it for a couple years, is there is a glob of guys that their differentials, to me, 
are not big enough to justify paying the higher price. Now, there is a there's a time where you just have to follow the run. Like I like to be and want to try to be the person that's not going to follow the run and I'm going to get deals in other spots. But maybe, maybe, possibly this year of all years, you don't want to be the person that gets caught not following the run at all because pitcher can get mm-hmm. messy. But after Cole and Verlander, I can I can dig Scherzer into the back end of the first. But you look at a lot of these guys and even on in this year's or this past year's performances, I mean, I'm telling you, DeGrom, 36 overall, Strasburg, 37, Granke, 43, Bieber, 46, Charlie Morton, 49. Then you're getting into some guys in the 70, like Kershaw and Walker Bueller. They're such a large clump. I am trying to find the justification on why I'm going to pay the high prices of so many similar pitchers with relatively good upside. Like, why am I going to go and take Jacob DeGrom in the mid-second, Scott, when I might be able to get Walker Bueller in the mid-fourth, or Lucas Giolito, or Patrick Corbin, finish 85th this year, and if I can get Patrick Corbin in the fourth or fifth round, how far of a separation is a guy like Jacob DeGrom, who's your fourth fourth overall pitcher, or even um, to your guy Mike Clevenger, who's your number six here? How how big is that gap? It's not huge. They're they're both. I, I mean, obviously, you could subdivide them and and break this clump of pitchers into uh, maybe two different tiers, maybe three different tiers. I I do think Degrom and obviously the three ahead of him there there's a difference between them and the group you're talking about. But that we're kind of, you know, especially coming off this year, but it's been going on for a few years now where there's kind of the good starting pitchers and there's everyone else. And all of these pitchers that we're talking about are in that group. That's good. The ace tier, I'd be willing to, you know, designate all of these pitchers aces. And I think the reason why you might want to reach for one as opposed to just waiting for the end of the run is because you want more than one. You want two. Because once they're all gone, the drop-off at the position is so extreme that you're, you're constantly going to be shuffling guys out uh, in and out of your lineup trying to find something that'll work and generally failing to find something that'll work. And something that, like... Um backs what you're talking about and and i think we've talked about some of these and in some of the mock drafts that uh, you know i've taken part in you go and look at the talent uh, as far as hitting goes that falls into the third and fourth round right now you you can get almost first round talent it feels like in the fourth round so oh yeah you you have the the fifth yeah you're right so you have the the potential advantage to go into the back end of the second round take a max scherzer and you're still going to get really really great bats my only argument is if you don't get the opportunity to get those top end guys, if you're not in a spot where, you know, Verlander and Cole go, you don't you can't yeah. pass up a hitter, you come into the second round and Scherzer's gone, I don't see or feel the weight that I need to be concerned of, oh no, I can't wait till the third or fourth round to get a pitcher, to get my first starting pitcher. I actually think of all years this might be a fantastic year to do that because there's so many guys that are in a similar value. The top players are gonna go with um you know with maximum concern from people missing out but you know you're 6 through 10 here I'm going to mention them and we can just talk about them you've got Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller at 9 and Steven Strasburg at 10. Give me the bottom or the last guy of those five taken and I'm happy because I don't see the difference on any of those players that says well I have to get Bieber in the second round cuz I can't get Walker Bueller or Steven Strasburg in the fourth round. It's a clump of very very good pitchers. 
Yeah, and obviously I to rank them I have to come up with differences, but it's it's yes. parsing for the most part. I I mean if you wanted to rank Strasbourg sixth instead of tenth, I wouldn't have great objections to that. And I think it's fine. Like I, I you want two ace caliber pitchers at least, I think. Uh and probably that group runs all the way through mm, maybe nineteen. Maybe you could even take it further than that. You want at least two of those guys, but you could wait until round three and four to get them. You could maybe even wait wait till round four and five, uh, particularly think, if you're talking about a categories league. I think that's a really so, good advantage. I think that's an advantage that I don't feel like people have felt in a while because I think we've been chasing. I think we chase into like, okay, I get no Syndergaard, I guess, in the late, you know, uh, early thirds. That'll be a guy that I can still get. And you forget the the weight now between a guy like Granky to maybe, you know, whoever 15 is, or maybe Granky is 15, somewhere in that range. The Between Clevenger down to wherever, uh, yeah, to Granky, who you have, we're going to talk in a little bit, into the teens. The, the, the value difference between them, my overarching statement on this is just that I feel I can wait. But let's talk about the actual players. But, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, the, the alternate viewpoint is... How different is a second round hitter from a fourth round hitter? Because you were just we were just talking about how a lot of fourth round hitters seem first round caliber. I mean, George Springer, you are right, is coming off a year where he performed like a first first rounder basically, and I think I have him going late fourth. I don't have my, I've been working on my top three hundred, and uh, I don't th- I don't have it pulled up, but I think I have George Springer as a late fourth rounder. So I I think it's just about weighing, you know what, you know, as opposed to saying. I'm going to take this in this round. I'm going to take this in this round. You really have to weigh specific players, what you prefer, what your needs are. Um, you know, it, and for a, a certain point in round two, it might make sense to take DeGrom and trust that a good hitter is going to be there later. On the other hand, if like a Trey Turner is still there in round two, it might make sense to take him and it, trust that the good pitcher is going to be there later. No, you're right. Like categorically, that could play a big role in this. It could be the upside to me, especially in the first five or six rounds, the upside is with the, it was with the uh, hitting. And categorically, if you're chasing, you're probably chasing, um, you're probably chasing stolen bases. But there's the backup plan to starting pitching. I mean, in 2019, 24 pitchers had 200 or more strikeouts. That's a pretty big list. They're not all going to be in the elite territory, but there's some really late guys that you know if you're trying to chase strikeouts that you compare with some good ERA guys. So we're getting in more pitching, drafting, philosophical stuff, and I've, I've taken it away from the uh, players, so I apologize. But number six, Mike Clevenger. Number seven, Shane Bieber. Two teammates. I felt like Bieber was going to be top five for you, so how did that change come about? How did Clevenger jump uh, Bieber, especially where Clevenger only pitched 126 innings, 169 strikeouts this past year? And Bieber topped 259, 259 strikeouts with 15 wins playing a full mm. season. So how did that switch? Well, it's it's just because Clevenger's ratios were notably better than Bieber's. And Bieber's were still great. I mean, Bieber's an innings eater. He's efficient. Going to have a great uh, FIP. But Clevenger's a little more of a bat misser. And I, I am at a point, and I've, I've been saying this for a few years now, where the way pitchers are handled by teams now, I don't trust anybody has the capacity to throw 200 innings until they show they have the capacity to throw 200 innings. And yeah, Clevenger had his injury this year, didn't get there, but he's gotten there before. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to dismiss that injury as just the sort of thing that's bound to happen from anybody at some point and not 
uh, not use it to indict Clevenger as some injury-prone pitcher. He hasn't really shown that before. So I'll give Clevenger the edge based on ratios over Bieber. But it's it's very close between those two. How many? I think uh, uh, I was going to jump ahead to the next two. Well, here, well, let me ask you this in real quick. How many pitchers in 2019 had 200 innings or more? I gave you 24 pitchers had 200 plus strikeouts. How many pitchers uh-huh. had 200 plus innings? Uh, six. Ooh, that's low. No, a little bit more. Okay. It's been less than that, I think, in recent years. Be wrong. 15. Uh, okay. How many? Sorry, I said it. I thought you were done. 15 pitchers had 200 innings or more this past year. So, as you're saying, you're waiting for the guys to prove that they can do it, you know, without getting too crazy into it. Uh, that's where, like, I look at a guy like Clevenger and I'm like, all right, you know, we want to see him get there. Shane Bieber had the second most innings pitched of anybody in baseball last year with big strikeout numbers and a three ERA. Pretty solid. Pretty, pretty solid pick. Not making an argument of necessarily trying to be Bieber over Clevenger. I just think it was interesting you take ratios over maybe consistency. Well, Bieber hasn't really established consistency yet. He has a full right? season that looks pretty dang consistent. Has I mean, are, right. you, are you comfortable with Clevenger? They both have one 200 inning season on their resumes. So yes. I don't know that Bieber really deserves a leg up. As far as that goes. Okay, so uh, talk to me about the other two guys. that are. Let's pair all three. You've got Fla- Flaherty and Bueller. Boy, you got to absolutely love them. This would probably be in the range where I might start targeting starting pitching if I don't get one of the top two guys, a Flaherty or a Walker Bueller, and then uh, obviously Strasburg. So give me the range of what these guys look like. It's been a, 200 inning guys have been pretty steadily 15 over the past few years. I don't know why I was remembering that wrong. But yeah, anyway, Flaherty and Bueller. I think most people are going to have Bueller ahead of Flaherty, and you know Flaherty wasn't exactly lights out in the postseason, so maybe that kind of ends my argument for taking him over Bueller. Bueller's full season ratios were a little nicer than Flaherty's, but of course Flaherty was the best pitcher of the second half, a .91 ERA, .71 WHIP, 11.2 K per nine, and 15 second half starts. So I think the ratios, the full season ratios, are close enough that you go ahead and give Flaherty the edge just to see how how much further he can take this. I mean, he's obviously not going to be that good over a full season, but has he grown to a point that he's better than Bueller now? I think I think that's a reasonable there's a reasonable case to be made there and I you know, they're given that they're so close, I would use that as the tiebreaker. Uh would you believe that this was only the second career time in his career that's not a good sentence, but uh, the only second time in his career that Steven Strasburg hit 200 innings since 2011. Second I would season. believe it. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely. You believe might it. believe that he's never done it. You might have. If I could have told you this is the first time he did it, you might have believed it. But he was consistent this year. He's also got boy. I mean, you want to talk about it since 2014. He has had a double digit K per nine. Every single season since 2014. So he finally put it together and he was able to make your top 10. It's a pretty dang good list. Uh, any other thoughts on Strasburg or Bueller? No, I actually was wondering if Strasburg was losing something because the ERA uh, had been climbing, but he made an adjustment that I think was perfect for this environment, featuring his curveball more, which is a pitch he relied on a lot early in his career, but had kind of gone away from it some in more recent years. It it upped his ground ball rate. 
to a point that, you know, that was now a strength for him. Home run prevention in an environment where that's so critical in a way that didn't change his uh, strikeout ability. So his 317 XFIP was good for fourth in all of baseball. And obviously there are always health concerns there with him, but I, I feel better about him now than I have in quite some time. So 1-10 to 10 was Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Chris Sale, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Walker Buehler, and Steven Strasburg. That is your top 10. We got a lot more to hit, so quick stopping point here, and let's get to some very interesting names. Ooh, like number 11. Let's uh, break it here on Fantasy Baseball Today. This part of the podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek promo code FANTASY. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to events difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about customer experience. But we have to ask ourselves, how easy could it be if those ticket sites actually cared? Well, with millions of live event tickets and price match guarantees, SeatGeek proves there is a better way. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. It's an exciting time in sports right now, so why not make the experience the absolute best? Whether you're looking for World Series tickets or you're trying to get tickets to the opening weekend of the NBA, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek breaks down all of their seats with green dots meaning good deals and red dots that are overpriced and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. SeatGeek wants to give you $10 off your first purchase and all you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. Number 11, Clayton Kershaw. My guy, Clayton Kershaw. I'm going to just give 11 to 15. Uh, Patrick Corbin is number 12. Yes, that is three Washington Nationals in the top 12. Um, Lucas Giolito at 13. Luis Castillo comes in at 14. And oh, my guy, Aaron Nola, all the way down to 15. So let's talk about Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw feels like he could be the oldest pitcher on here, though he is not. <laughs> Thank nope. God his season isn't uh, isn't you know. Thank God his playoffs are not a representation of the season that he is. But all of the concerns you've put with the guys that are thirty seven years old or thirty six years old, Clayton Kershaw has had, but he kind of suppressed all of those this year and almost made it as a top ten pitcher for you. And this group, this eleven through fifteen, I'm probably least comfortable with the order I have them. They're probably the most interchangeable. Like I'm kind of not liking having Kershaw over Corbin and uh, maybe even Giolito right now. But yeah, I, I had a lot of concerns about Kershaw being on the decline, his velocity and uh, swinging strike rates. They're not near what they used to be, but they kind of got back a little bit after, you know, uh, 2018 was the low point, kind of bounced back a little with them and managed to avoid an IL stint for a back issue. For the first time in four years, I think it was. So both of those, I think, are encouraging developments and uh, reason to trust he's going to be a high-end pitcher again next year. Most innings pitched since 2015, though he has not since 2015 had a 200-inning season. So he was not one of those 15 guys that we talked yeah, about. He did. He was on the IL at the start of this year. So it's not like he didn't have one at all. It just didn't. He didn't have the season interrupted by that back issue that's been plaguing him since he took a long flight back from Sydney uh, from, uh, yeah, a few years ago. All right, so Patrick Corbin, Lucas Giolito with the big jump this year, Luis Castillo, always a favorite, and Aaron Nola, kind of a, a drop. Where do these guys fit as far as tiers in the top 10? Like, how far off? Is Clayton Kershaw clearly the start of the next tier after Strasburg? 
Yeah, I I would say there's a tier division there, and you know it it kind of depends on how you know just how how loose you want to make your tiers. I I find for drafting it's it's helpful to um to make fewer tiers rather than more. Just uh, buy yourself more opportunities to wait and. I may end up doing that when I actually put together my tiers, but I do think there is a reason to pay a little bit more for Strasburg and above than, uh, and then maybe, you know, a few picks later before you get into Kershaw and Corbin and all of them. Um, Lucas, Lucas Giolito versus a guy like Aaron Nola is really interesting to me. Command was off on Aaron Nola this year. This was, um, this was an, I would say, I think this is fair to say, an uncharacteristically down year for Aaron Nola. Went 200 innings, still struck out 229 batters, but he had a close to four ERA. Whip was up at 127, 12 wins on the year. How how comfortable are you in a debate of Aaron Nola versus G- Lucas Giolito? Like if I said G- Giolito regresses, you know, off of this past season and Aaron Nola gets closer to a top 10 pitcher, do you think that is still feasible with that? Oh yeah, it's definitely feasible. Uh, shoot, other than other than maybe Cole falling outside of the top five, you could probably convince me these pitchers could fit, could rank in in any order. The ones we've covered so far. Um, so yeah, that's definitely feasible. The reason I ranked Nola behind Giolito is because. It was in April mostly, and it was in September mostly when his command kind of disappeared on him. If it was all confined to April, and then he was basically 2018 Aaron Nola the rest of the way, I think uh, he'd probably rank behind that, right behind Strasburg and be 11th overall. But the fact that he couldn't put that to rest, it was something that plagued him off and on throughout the season. I mean, it makes me a little nervous about who exactly you're getting. My guess is 2019 was probably his downside. And if that's the case, I mean, obviously he was still really good, but it's it's hard to say for sure. How concerned are you about um, a potential drop off in Giolito? Because Giolito is going to cost a premium this year. Second half wasn't atrocious, but he had a three one five in the first half of two thousand nineteen. Finished the second half with a three seven six ERA, but two of the final three months, and there's that weird September October kind of combo. So let's just call them one. Two of the final three months, he had a five ERA. So he's wore down a little bit on the back end, but he's coming off of a career year. Pretty big different splits as far as ERA versus home and away. A two eight three away, but a four ERA at home. Are you worried and are you going to account for regression on Lucas Giolito? Or do you buy into all the changes that it's sustainable? So he had basically three bad starts over the final three months. And that's that explains those higher ERAs for July and September. Uh, you know, you get into a sample of five starts. It doesn't take much to skew an ERA. I think he was still basically just as good in the second half as he was in the first half. And the changes for him leading to this breakthrough were wholesale. He upped his velocity. Uh, he shortened his delivery, which improved his command. He altered his pitch selection, got more differentiation on the fastball and changeup, so that both of them became more effective pitches. They just look like believable adjustments from a guy who was at one point considered the top pitching prospect in baseball. I don't have too many concerns about Giolito repeating it. 
always feel more comfortable with the guy who's done it twice rather than once, but I, I'm not that concerned about him. All right, 16 through 20, you've got Blake Snell. And by the way, this 16 through 20, like give me two of these guys. Uh, let me wait on pitching and give me two of these guys for a bounce back. I'm willing to take that risk because I'm a little bit of a gambler. It, it is a risk. It is a risk. Work. But look yeah. at these names. Blake Snell, you've got at 16. Zach Greinke at 17. Charlie Morton, Char- Charlie Morton at 18. Noah Syndergaard at 19. And Luis Severino at 20. I told you earlier, 15 pitchers had 200 uh, innings or more pitched. How many pitchers did not eclipse 200 strikeouts that pitched 200 innings, do you believe? So you have 15 how many didn't hit 200 strikeouts? I would say of those 15, only two fell short of 200 strikeouts. Ooh, very close. Three fell short. Jose Barrios, who had 195 strikeouts in 200.1 innings pitched. Marco Gonzalez, who had the craziest ratio, 203 mm-hmm. innings and only 149 strikeouts. And the reason I brought this up, Zach Ranke. 208 innings pitch, only 187 strikeouts on the year. But obviously, um, you know, old but consistent, old but uh, constant is the guy. And it's really interesting, the guys that he's paired against. Like, I look at guys like Granke and Morton, and it's like, okay, those are those feel good. And then you look at the upside of Snell at 16 and Noah Syndergaard. I still can't escape Noah Syndergaard at 19. And give me a full season of Luis Severino. This is a this is a this is a tasty range of pitching here, Scott. Yep. Now I'm clearly emphasizing durability and expectations of how long they're going to pitch in the season and how long they're going to go, how deep they're going to go in games in in my rankings here. And Snell obviously coming off an injury plague season. Neither of the injuries are of the recurring variety. I don't really worry about them coming back to bite him next year. It's more the fact that Snell, uh, the Rays really haven't let him go beyond six innings very often. Even in his Cy Young season, he was less than 200 innings, right? And that was with a crazy low ERA that it was unreasonable to expect him to repeat. Uh, 189 ERA, he threw 180 and two-thirds innings that year. So... Uh, I don't really worry about Snell performance-wise. He did have a 429 ERA when he was healthy this past year, but he would have had the best swinging strike rate by far had he been Garrett Cole if he had the innings to qualify. So the stuff is clearly clearly still there. It's just consistency questions uh, and and uh, you know innings questions, I guess. Um, in the two early mocks that we've referenced from time to time here, the industry mocks. Blake Snell ended up being the 10th pitcher taken with a 41 overall ADP. Noah Syndergaard, the 18th pitcher taken with an ADP of around 55. Are you comfortable with Noah Syndergaard with about a round and a half discount, or is Blake Snell enough of the player that you will pay up for an extra round and a half, even two rounds over Syndergaard? Well, I have him 16th and 8th and 19th, right? Yeah. They went further apart in the two early mocks. So clearly I'm not, I'm not giving Snell an extra round and a half over Cindergard. They're basically the same round for me. Cindergard, I, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with him because he actually managed to stay healthy this past year, right? The thing we thought was holding him back, he overcame and yet it was a very disappointing season. This is two years in a row now where his strikeout rate has been barely more than one per inning, which is, Fine, but it's not really ace caliber, not in today's game. 
So, I mean, the stuff looks the same as it always has. I don't, I, I thought maybe 2018 was a fluke in terms of the strikeouts, but I guess not. I don't really know what's going on there, but I do think the upside is still the same as it always was, and that's top five upside. So 19th seems like uh, about as much discount as you as can be applied for him. Yeah, some good discounts. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to go uh, 20 to 30 in groups of five here. So we're at it. More starting pitching right here on Fantasy Baseball today. What we all need in life is a little bit less stress. One thing we might all agree on is that financial stress is some of the worst. And who doesn't want less stress in their life? If high interest credit card bills are adding to your stress, I've got the solution for you. Pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay. The online application is quick and easy, and you can apply right from your phone. Plus, you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com strike. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash strike. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash strike for more information. All right, 21, Tyler Glass now. 22, U Darvish. Mm, that second half, U Darvish. Trevor Bowers in at 23, Brandon Woodruff at 24, and Sonny Gray at 25. Brandon Woodruff kind of... He sticks out a little bit here, Scott. You got him above, like, I didn't mean to jump ahead, but I look at Chris Paddock at 26, and um, talk to me about your very, very aggressive ranking on Brandon Woodruff. I think I, I think maybe people are going to overlook Woodruff's breakout because he had that injury that cost him basically, what, the entire second half of the season. Uh, I remember right when he was starting to click in May, Bryce Harper saying that uh, what he saw from Woodruff reminded him a lot of Matt Harvey, obviously when Matt Harvey was good and winning Cy Young's. And I, you know, took a closer look at that comparison. It was coming off an eight inning, one hit effort with 10 strikeouts against the Phillies that Harper said this on May 26th. And it's for both of them. It's that high impact fastball. Like Woodruff might have the most impactful fastball of any pitcher in baseball. And, and, you know, in the wild card game, uh, he didn't, last very long in that because he was coming back from injury, but we saw him using that fastball to full effect and it uh, against the nationals, it was doing the trick. And, you know, just the fact that once he did get rolling in may, he's a very efficient pitcher. Like he didn't go deep into games to start the year, but that's because the brewers were really limiting his pitch counts. Once they let him go 90 plus with consistency, I mean, he was turning out seven and eight inning starts consistently and then he missed time with injury. And I, I think people are going to overlook that with him, just how uh, how much of a workhorse he was in addition to having that big strikeout ability. It, it's definitely aggressive. He showed up around 35 as far as uh, starting pitchers in the two early mocks. But it's interesting to see him in a range of, I would say, two guys that uh, different trajectories of the season had them, I, I would say, being looked at as top 20 pitchers. Tyler Glasnow in the first half, people were like, oh my gosh, we're on the we're on breakout alert here with Tyler Glasnow, who you have at 21, and you Darvish mm-hmm. with the second half. I mean, there was practically no one that was better than you Darvish, and he regained what looks like the ace abilities that we had seen from you Darvish. So for Woodruff to be in the same class as those guys, I don't know if there's a big tier difference, but uh, give me a little snippet on Glasnow and Darvish. 
Yeah, I would I would take Darvish and Glass now maybe a full round ahead of Woodruff. I think there is kind of a division there. I don't think Woodruff has that Cy Young winning upside. Although I mean he could he could be in that conversation as his career plays out, but I don't see him having that best in the league type upside that Darvish showed in the second half and has shown in the past. And Glass now, I mean, he's coming off a season where he had a 178 ERA, and that was with a 226 FIP. So it's not like he was overperforming that wildly. It's just, do we have any reason to believe Glass now can hold it together for a full season? We've never seen that from him. So that's that's a big question mark. But if you're just pursuing upside, I can understand you having Glass now, you know, maybe as high as 11th overall, mm. while I have him 21st. Uh, and meanwhile, Darvish, you know, I don't really think he's going to be as good as he was over his final 14 stars, 295 ERA, 0.83 whip, 12.6 K per nine. But before coming to Chicago, he was considered perennially an ace in fantasy. And I think he, if nothing else, he gave us a reminder dirt with that stretch that he is, he is still exactly that. Uh, at number 26, I mentioned him. Chris Paddock comes in. You've got Hinchin Ryu at 27, Mike Soroka at 28. Jose Barrios at 29, and James Paxton at 30. So again, this is an interesting class of names. I mean, Paddock was managed well, had a fantastic season. You've got him below a guy like Trevor Bauer, who had quite a up-and-down season. And, you know, I'm curious. I'm going to look here on the two early mocks. I guess that did happen, because for uh, off the top of my head, I wanted to say, if you were to just pin me down, Bauer or Paddock, I think I would go Paddock, but... Bauer went in as the 21st pitcher taken, and Paddock was the 24th. So it's not like there's that far of a difference here, but um, yeah. welcome to... I'd be interesting in your comparison of Bauer versus Paddock. I think, that first of all, I don't think there's that big of a difference. I think they should be drafted close together. The reason I prefer Bauer is I, I think he's his own worst enemy. I think he tinkers a lot. I mean, this was a Chris Towers take preseason, and it proved to be exactly right. He kind of tinkered himself out of being a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Specifically, he backed off his curveball in favor of a cutter, and it made him much more vulnerable to the home run. He gave up a lot more fly balls, and that's at a time when home run prevention might be the most important thing a pitcher can do. But he's studious. I think he's going to review it this offseason and probably make the adjustment there. That's, that's my hope, anyway, for Bauer, because he still has tons of strikeout ability, and he's still a durable pitcher. Paddock has... A bright future. I don't think he's quite the finished product people are giving him credit for. And, and obviously the the end results were, were great for him in his rookie season. Innings being managed heavily. But still, he is has a tendency to put the ball in the air. And that's something a lot of these pitchers have figured out in this era is just how important it is on the rare occasion it's put in play because they're all big strikeout types too. The importance of putting it on the ground, preventing home runs. And Paddock's vulnerable there. He has a real vulnerability there that very few others on this list, I guess maybe Bauer this past year, do. Uh, and in addition, really needs a third pitch, really needs a breaking ball. He's pretty much just fastball changeup right now. Both of them are excellent, but uh, I, I think the lack of that third pitch is going to hold him back developmentally and uh, limit his upside. And look, maybe he figures it out this offseason if he's Showing a great baking, breaking ball this spring, I'll reassess. But that's that's where I am right now with Paddock. One of my favorites on this, and I and I think 
Uh, I'd have to go through this, but I'm pretty sure this is an accurate statement. The youngest pitcher in the top 30 is Mike Soroka. Does that sound right? Am I? Um, would, yeah, I mean, he's young. He yeah. looks even younger than he is. Too. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Twenty. I think yeah, he might be the youngest pitcher on here. I love the upside of Mike Soroka, and he's one of those guys where if you're talking about drafting strategy here, I love the. I mean, if if you've got the wherewithal to be able to go and get, let's say, a Shane Bieber or a Walker Bueller, then you can wait and you can take that really um, that exciting tier of players where we talked about Snell to Syndergaard to Severino. You know, even into Darvish Glass, and you get those as a two, and then have the upside of a guy like Mike Soroka as your SP3. You really can build an inexpensive, high upside, solid staff by seeing how deep the position is with, um, you know, I mean, the top tier is still in its own range, but guys like Mike Soroka all the way up to players like Luis Castillo that you had up at, where do you have Luis Castillo? Uh, 14. I think I can just take the values and that's why I would take the upside on a guy like Mike Soroka this year. Yeah, it's I wonder how much upside he actually has. Now this these two here I have Ryu 27th, Soroka 28th, that's after Paddock at 26th. And that's really those two are the first departure from the big bat missers. Even compared to somebody like Rinky. I guess Rinky's not a big bat misser, but he's at least an average bat misser and Ryu and Soroka are clearly below average. Or at least they were this past year. Very similar profiles. Obviously, they thrive on the other two legs of the FIP triangle. Very good control, high, high ground ball rates. And that's what makes them so they can even hang with these other pitchers. I do, it's kind of just a gut feeling. Soroka is so advanced and so smart and manipulates the ball so well that I kind of have a feeling he figures out how to become a bat misser in the future. Like a Flaherty type jump. Yeah, I mean, I think of Aaron Nola. That's the comparison I, like I usually that. make. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. That's a, that's a really um, good one. But who knows? I mean, and who knows how long it'll take even, even if I am right. I, I think you have to draft. I think you give him a slight jump, move up the rankings in that hope, but you obviously can't be expecting it. You should expect something similar to last, something similar to this past year where he probably overperformed. I mean, but a low three ZRA. Okay, I'll put it this way. Soroka, you can hope for the upside of like an Aaron Nola, but you should expect something closer to Kyle Hendricks. That is quite a line, but I think that's a good, uh, you know, hope for the best, uh, prepare for the worst. So the worst is Kyle Hendricks and the best is for Aaron Nola. So that's a good way to put it. Let's take one more break. We're going to get the final 10 and the final comments and statements here uh, as we get through the top 40 of the SPs for an early 2020 look. So quick break. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Number 31, Lance Lynn. 32, Corey Kluber. There's a little adjustment if you read uh, Scott's article. Number three, uh, 33, Madison Bumgarner. Zach Wheeler at 34, Frankie Montas at 35, been killing it in the Dominican Winter League. Carlos Carrasco at 36, Zach Gallen at 37, 
Max Fried at 38, Eduardo Rodriguez at 39, and Matthew Boyd jumps in at 40. That is the top 40 list. Those are the final 10. So give me the highlights that uh, are important pieces of conversation you need to put in here because it feels very 2019 performance to have Lynn over Corey Kluber with the track record of Kluber. And I think it's even fair to say the track record, I say negatively, with Lance Lynn. I mean, is 2019 with the changes enough that, I mean, obviously it was because the rank is there. So talk to me about why you're well, comfortable with Lynn over Kluber. I'm just no, so baffled I think, by it. I think I am going to flip these two and put Kluber ahead of Lynn. Um, just because it doesn't sit right with me. I mean, they're both kind of wild cards at this point, right? Sure. Kluber is 35. He wasn't looking good the little bit he did pitch this year. I think it was less a skills issue than just, you know, early season weirdness. But given his age, it's hard to say for sure. And then he's coming off the season, uh, you know, a couple of injuries, a couple of injuries, broken forearm, and then he got hurt rehabbing that. So I don't really know what to expect from him at his age and after what was a loss. It's very similar, actually, to Darvish coming into this past year because uh, he hardly pitched the previous year. And when he did pitch, he didn't look that great. So. You know, Kluber, previous five years were all Cy Young contending seasons, so he gets a lot of benefit of the doubt there. But it's it's hard to say exactly who's going to be next year. And he had, but I and, will put him ahead of Lance Lynn. And Lance Lynn is tough because 246 strikeouts and 208 inning, uh, 208 innings pitched, 16 wins. Whip was a little bit higher than you would want. I actually believe he has the highest whip of any starting pitcher that is above him and uh, quite a multitude of ones that are below him. So, you know, all the guys like the Patrick Corbin's Luis Castillo's we're talking like sub one, one whip type of guys. And he's up at one, two, two. I've got a guy that I want to bring up, but um, since we're coming up on the, the end here, give me any snippets on some of these guys, Frankie Montas at 35. I'd be curious to hear about maybe uh, Zach Gallen. Give me a couple snippets on a couple players. And I want to ask you about one guy that didn't make the list. Okay, so Madison Bumgarner at 33. He's right after Kluber and Lynn. Uh, he kind of like Kershaw got some of the skills back. He, he basically got his velocity on his cutter and his strikeout rate back to the pre-dirt bike accident levels, but he was still so much better at home that entering free agency, I kind of worry about him. Uh, then we got Wheeler at 34. We'll see where he winds up to. Frankie Montas, I have a feeling... I may end up having to move him up from 35. 35 is kind of my optimistic optimistic ranking in the hope that people overlook or underestimate him, given that his breakout season was interrupted by a PED suspension. And, okay, so how much did that affect, how much did that performance enhance or enhance his performance? Really, though, it was more about the development of a splitter to, like, work in perfect unison with his fastball, really a splitter that could function as a changeup and and it improved the swinging strike rate overall and made the fastball better, improved the ground ball rate. Like it just became, it was a revolutionary pitch for Frankie Montas and I think he has ace upside. And he'll probably be one of the biggest risers in the early mocks. He went off as the 48th overall pitcher uh, that was taken. And if you have him at 35, the industry moves, you look at the Dominican Winter League numbers, you know, he's guaranteed a spot in spring. This is a guy that can move inside to the top 30. So as you have kind of succinctly said over some episodes we've done, Scott, the people that haven't been paying attention due to fantasy football, 
they're not <laughs> going to be the ones that are going to be able to take advantage or be aware of taking advantage of uh, Frankie Montas early ish in drafts. If you wait into the post forties, you know, then you're playing with fire. But when you get into the thirties, there's a lot of people that are going to be able to take advantage of people not catching up with his jump. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I would expect him to dominate the winter league. Well, he, has, <laughs> and he, yeah. he actually did one thing might people might have. He actually did come back and make one final regular season with six strong innings for the athletics to help them secure their wild card spot. Wasn't eligible for the postseason because of the suspension, but we already kind of got confirmation that he's, he's still good. He stopped cheating suspension. Yeah. Stop being a cheater. Um, I've got one more guy and we're up against it. And I know there's so much we could talk about. And this is a difficult one because he's an oddity, but he did come off as the 17th overall pitcher taken in the two early mocks. But he's not just a pitcher because he's a hitter and it's Shohei Otani. Oh, yes. So Shohei, he's tough, but there's also a bigger thing or maybe a bigger concern, if you will, about what newly managed Joe Madden would do with him. Joe Madden loves to tinker, loves to play around with stuff. So there's a lot of question marks around him. How do you uh, how do you deal with him? Because you know this is a guy that is a um, th- this is going to be the season, by the way. Because what did he have? Essentially, a season of pitching, a season of hitting, uh, one full season concentrated on hitting. This is going to be the year where theoretically he's unleashed. He's back into getting all of it. So theoretically, theoretically, that's but, why I said theoretically. There's so much we don't know, right. and it's it's Joe Madden could affect his value. And a lot of people are concerned, but he went off at 17. He was between Giolito and Syndergaard in the two early mocks. I mean, he has that kind of upside for sure. I think, I think most of the pitchers that we've talked about here in this top 40 have that kind of upside too. Uh, I would say probably right up through Frankie Montas at 35, at least through Corey Kluber at 31 have that kind of upside. And so when you factor in, okay, he's probably going to have to start every sixth turn instead of every fifth turn. At least that's how they were handling him before. You factor in, okay, is he going to be full go right out of the gate coming off Tommy John's surgery? Uh, I think that remains to be seen. I obviously leave the door open to move him up based on the way things look in spring training. I just would rather take a better safe than sorry approach with him. And, uh, I, I'm trying to see here. I'm trying to pull open. I've got uh, his stuff here in 2018. If that's what you were looking for, pitched 51 innings out of a uh, four and two record with a three, three, one ERA, a three, five, three X FIP, almost an 11 K per nine. And that was as a pitcher in 2018 in 18 from a hitting perspective, it was pretty amazing. 22 homers with 10 stolen bases and a 285 average. This year in 106 games, that was 114 and 18. In 106 games in 19, 18 homers, 12 stolen bases with a 285 average. So you've got a you got a guy who consistently is hitting the average is 20 homers, 11 stolen bases, a 285 uh, batting average, and you're gonna put I don't know 80 innings pitched, 100. He had 50 in his first season, so somewhere between 50 and 100. I mean, how do you balance the value of a player like that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, and at least the way it's set up on CBS, I don't, I don't think any site has it set up to get the maximum impact from Otani, which would mean both his hitting points and his pitching points every time he does either or both. That would be the maximum impact. I don't think anybody does that. Some have two separate guys, a hitter and a pitcher version you can draft. In CBS, you choose 
for the upcoming scoring period what you're going to designate him as, and he only gets that production, which probably means, again, next year you're going to use him mostly as a pitcher. Um, and so, yeah, how much will the innings be limited? I will point out that in my more updated rankings, because I've been working on them uh, pretty much since the season ended, Otani is right behind Corey Kluber at 32nd overall. I actually have Kluber 31, Otani 32, and Lance Lynn then 33. So we shouldn't have left him out here. Um, That's all we're talking about. But I don't have him. I still don't have him nearly as high as he went in the two early mocks. Well, and he's also an unknown. That's there's so much to it. There's new coaching there, and um, he's an oddity where he would theoretically be unleashed this season. So we'll see how it uh, plays out. I mean, probably this is the longest episode we've done. But there's 40 starting pitchers. Any final words? Any final statements? There's a lot of guys we didn't get to you know pin down every single player and dig crazy crazy deep into it. But we were able to list all of the guys for everybody. So any final thoughts on this top 40? Uh, I will, I'll point out that Carlos Carrasco at 36, he obviously has a chance to move up a lot too. It's, you know, a guy dealing with leukemia is not a situation we face very often. And particularly being in his mid thirties, I don't really know how he's going to be endurance wise heading into next year. So, um, the reports we're getting in spring training could drastically change things for a guy who's consistently been top 15 heading into the season. But yeah, I, I think my, my, the overall point I want to make coming out of this position is that things get really bad. Not far after, not long after this. I mean, I think you see a drop off here in the thirties already, but I would still be pretty excited to have any of these guys. It's, it's uh, it's not long after this where it just goes from, okay, yeah, this is a pretty good pitcher. I can trust having in my lineup every week to, oh, uh, no, this what is happened? going to be a disaster. <laughs> and pretty much 60, right around 60, maybe even 55. Oh, maybe even about 50. I mean, you still got some pretty good upside in 50, at least in my rankings. But it's not long after that that the position just goes to crap. And you want to have a pretty full pitching staff by the time it gets to that point. If if you're uh, either that or you're going to have to get lucky off the waiver wire, nabbing up all the Brandon Woodruff type breakouts. Well, there's a lot of strategy to be talked about and there's tons and tons more analysis. But this was a nice 2020 early SP preview for you. Top 40. You can catch the article that's over on CBS right now. You can tweet at Mr. Scott White at CBS Scott White. Myself at Is It The Welsh. If you have any questions, hit us up as we uh, kind of just sift through all of the stuff as we're coming out of these rank previews and just kind of opening up the conversation. And uh, I know you guys will disagree. Some will love, some will hate some of the stuff they heard, but it's all about seeing what this position looks like here for 2020. That is it for us. Uh, only one this week, one next week, kind of one through the way through. We're going to finish this bad boy off with relief pitchers. We kind of lied to you uh, because we adjusted things up a little bit, but we felt that this was a good point to talk about starting pitchers. Relief pitchers up next, and then some good free-flowing episodes. So plenty more coming up right here on Fantasy Baseball today. I'm Chris Welsh. That's Scott White. You guys have a great one, and we are out of here.